Hello, Cachimbonas. Welcome to Radio Cachimbona, Season 5, Episode 18. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast that is audio archiving the state repression and fierce migrant resistance happening in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. Today, I will be sharing with you all an interview that I did with Kat Jutras of Death Penalty Alternatives for Arizona. We talked about the work that the organization is doing to try and stop the death penalty in Arizona. And we talked about the very, very tragic case of Clarence Dixon, who the state of Arizona executed last week, even though he was declared legally insane, had multiple diagnoses, including paranoid schizophrenia, and to the very end of his death, demonstrated that he didn't understand why the state was putting him to death. He was a member of the Navajo Nation, which opposes the death penalty and did intervene and advocate on his behalf to not have him executed because of their cultural and religious beliefs surrounding the death penalty. Um, and I wrote an article about this for Balls and Strikes and highlighted how this is par for the course with Arizona, how this state kind of acts outside of the law or operates really at the fringes of it to carry out these executions. And the Supreme Court, despite you know precedent that should have stopped Clarence Dixon's execution from happening, didn't intervene and did so without comment on the day that he that he was executed. And I will put a link to that article in the show notes. Thank you to all the patrons who support you really make this podcast happen. If you would like to support the podcast, a great way is to become a patron for $3 a month. You can get a monthly shout out on the podcast. And if you're able to pay between five and $10 a month, then you get access to the lit reviews and early access to the episodes that I put out like these. Uh, But obviously, there's many, many ways to help the podcast. And another really, really important one is leaving an Apple podcast reading and review or a Spotify reading and review or a review on whatever platform it is that you listen to the podcast. It helps other people find the podcast and helps the podcast gain visibility. You can also share the podcast on social media. If you really enjoyed it on Twitter, you can follow at Radio Cachimbona on Facebook and Instagram as well. And I think that that is everything. So I hope that you all enjoy this episode and thank you so much for listening. Hello, Cachimbonas. Today, I'm very excited to welcome back Kat Jutras, who I interviewed previously about the work that you did with the Arizona Advocacy Network, where you are creating a holistic program for people convicted of felonies with the long-term goal of increasing voter enfranchisement amongst that population of people. Now, we are here to talk about something you know, quite different, but also still, you know, ultimately related about the injustices of the criminal legal systems. But before we get into it, I just wanted to say thank you, Kat, for reaching out to me. I really wanted to cover the case of Clarence Dixon and his pending execution. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. 
Yeah, absolutely. It is such an honor to be back. So you are now the statewide director of advocacy with Death Penalty Alternatives for Arizona. What do you do in that role? It's a many hat role. The main objective of my role is to really educate people about what's going on with the death penalty in Arizona and build a coalition of people and volunteers who who want to take action against the death penalty here. You know, there's a lot of problems with our justice system here in Arizona beyond the death penalty, but so much of it is intersectional and does relate to the outcome of problems with our system that leads to death penalty convictions or, you know, life in prison that we really need to look at a lot more closely here. Yeah, definitely. When was this organization founded? And would you say that the ultimate advocacy goal is to end the death penalty in Arizona? Definitely. The I mean, our our um, name, Death Penalty Alternatives, is definitely rooted in trying to end the death penalty here in Arizona. Death Penalty Alternatives has been around for a long time. We have a really great advisory board and board of directors, people who have been working in death penalty cases and the justice system for, you know, combinations of 10 to 30 years, just different experiences people have who are attorneys and public defenders, people who've been exonerated, and then also just faith leaders who have been really heavy advocates for abolition and abolition of the death penalty. That's really great to hear, especially because I feel like covering Supreme Court stuff as I do now, I'm only hearing about conservative faith-based advocacy that's like, trying to inculcate white Christian supremacy into our everyday lives. So it's really great to hear that there is a faith-based component to the board that is is fighting the death penalty in Arizona. Yeah, definitely. On our advisory board, we have Sister Helen Prejean, who you oh, know, wow. was one of the creators of like the or inspirations for like Dead Man Walking, you know, these are what that is. Yeah, Dead Man Walking is a movie that Sean Penn's in. And oh, gosh, I forget who the other lady is. But it is based off of a real case. And the book that Sister Helen um, Pergine wrote, and it follows her role as a spiritual advisor to someone on death row. And that experience from being the spiritual advisor to witnessing the execution. So it's a great book. It's a great movie. It was actually one of like the first movies I ever watched that covered it from that perspective of a faith leader. And, you know, the case, like most death penalty cases was really intense and really actually pivoted me to wanting to be more involved with death penalty work and and abolition. I'm definitely a hardcore abolitionist, but death penalty is not a, a monolithic subject on either side of the political spectrum. You have people who are ultra conservative who do have positions of ending the death penalty, but you also have plenty on that side who are also completely for keeping it. And same thing with on the progressive side, there are plenty of people out there who condone it, but also plenty of people who continue to support it. That's definitely true. Like, you know, Amy Coney Barrett research was previously cited because she said that Catholic judges should not sentence somebody to death uh, because that would be a violation of their faith. Whereas Clarence 
Thomas, also a part of the conservative movement, is kind of frighteningly for the death penalty at all times and has crafted a narrative of people on death row filing frivolous court requests in order to kind of endlessly delay their execution. And it's just a really untrue narrative because of various laws like IEDPA. People who are sentenced to death row are actually shut out of a lot of appeal avenues. And there's so many errors that exist within the criminal legal system and how people are sentenced. And this is especially true in Arizona. It's just important to discuss that kind of the wide swath of unlikely bedfellows that do oppose the death penalty. Yeah, and I do think that it is a growing movement, particularly here in Arizona, where it has been out of sight and out of mind for like the last eight years. The last execution took place in 2014, and it was extremely mishandled and botched. It's an execution scheduled for 15 minutes took almost two hours. There is no doubt in my mind that the timing of it alone indicates some real problems. You've got secrecy as far as like how drugs are procured, who's compounding them. All the oversight is done by Arizona DOC. So very little information about the process, the the training that's available to people who are Actually, most of them are not um, doctors or nurses. I don't think there's a doctor out there who would actually be able to conduct an execution because it is completely opposite of their Hippocratic oath. Right. Um, And so you have people who are potentially lightly medically trained. They may have um, served in the military. They may have been an EMT, you know, something like that. And those are the individuals who are more likely to be selected to conduct an execution than a, you know, board certified nurse or physician, which is pretty shocking. Yeah. I mean, I think it just, it's reflective of like how the number of people that are willing to participate in these executions is actually shrinking. Architects and designers, for example, who have taken a pledge to not design execution chambers or to not design rooms for solitary confinement. As you say, it's kind of always been hard to get a doctor uh, on board to execute somebody because it just is a fundamental violation of the Hippocratic Oath that the profession takes. So you have people who are, as you said, like trained medically light (laughs) and uh, drug companies have stopped selling these drugs like big companies like Pfizer have stopped selling these drugs to states not because of any morality on their own but just because of public backlash for people who do not support the death penalty and don't you know don't support these the sale of these drugs and then the you know the actual truth is also that this wasn't very profitable for these companies and so it was like the negative blowback outweighed the little profit that they made. But just like for that reason, like where states get drugs to execute people is really sketchy. You know, like certain groups have traced the origin of death penalty drugs and like literally some, you know, you trace them back to like a cart that fell off a truck in India. <laughs> well, yeah. And the state, the state of Arizona has, has also been 
pretty sketchy with the procurement of the drugs. They've illegally imported execution drugs from a driving school that was like, it was, it dubbed also as a driving school kind of slash pharmacy in the UK. And they weren't able to use those drugs because they got caught, but they have made multiple attempts to obtain drugs illegally to execute people, you know, but the drugs that have been obtained now, now there, I mean, and I think as of January, 2009, there is an Arizona revised statute. I think it's 13 757 that protects the identity of executioners, people who participate and perform auxiliary functions of an execution. So yes, all there's the people a lot of these who are, laws that allow the doctors to not be publicly identifying for what they do. Who they're getting drugs from, who's preparing them, all secret. Unless that information is leaked from inside the DOC office or somebody's at a bar talking about how they're going to, you know, execute someone, that information is sealed to the public. So you can't really inquire where your tax dollars are being spent, who they're being paid to. And Arizona taxpayers are funding this, whether they agree on the death penalty or not. So you can't really have any oversight on this. And you should, you absolutely should, particularly if this is something that's funded with tax dollars. So it was recently that Arizona issued the first execution warrant in eight years, as you said, for Clarence Dixon. What is his story? Clarence Dixon is a member of the Navajo Nation. He grew up on a reservation in a home that was really traumatic. His father was addicted to painkillers and he experienced a lot of physical and emotional abuse. He had six siblings, grew up in a, in a relatively large family, but was very neglected. He also suffers from severe mental illness. And at a really young age, he had depression and suicide idolations. And at the time of the crime, he was a student at ASU and was actually forced to withdraw because of his declining mental health. Unrelated to the case that he is on death row for, he had a charge. It was an assault charge and several doctors had diagnosed him with schizophrenia and he was found to be incompetent. Then, well, I can say she was then a Maricopa Superior Court judge, Sandra Day O'Connor, found him to be not guilty by reason of insanity. So it is well documented that his mental health has always been an issue for him. You know, I think that the Maricopa County Attorney's Office failed to commence civil commitment after the hearing that Judge O'Connor proceeded over, and he was released into the community without any supervision, treatment, or for his mental health. And then two days later, the crime that he, you know, is convicted for occurred. So two days after he was released, this crime happened. And he was released because Maricopa County attorney didn't commit him to a civil institution like the judge had ordered. I believe he was released from like a state hospital early and wasn't given any type of supervision, treatment, course, resources yeah. to mental health. I mean, it's a very common story. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that has That's changed. That's how most people and... are released from 
you know, yeah. incarceration. Most like, you're not. You're just. It's just you, and the possessions that you came with. If, you know, whatever you had. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is very little follow up or oversight that happens with people who don't have mental health. But even yeah. the same for people who do have mental health issues. Yeah. It's a really sad situation because. To me, I, I believe the state is also culpable for this offense. Yeah, right. The Maricopa County DA, for sure. Yeah. Is that why it's particularly problematic that Arizona wants to execute this individual because of his mental health, his serious mental health impairments that, as you said, have been documented for a really long time? Yeah, I mean, I there's tons of issues with the death penalty in Arizona, whether it's how they're obtaining drugs, the, the options that people are given for Mr. Dixon. Um, he, because his case was committed prior to 1993, he has to choose if he wants lethal injection or the gas chamber, which in itself is really problematic and has been found to be a violation of the Eighth Amendment. So the it, it's usage an of option. The gas chamber? Yes. But, and also the Supreme Court has said that executing somebody with mental disabilities is also cruel and unusual punishment under the Eighth Amendment. So correct. Have the Arizona, have the Arizona courts tried to explain this? Like, are they, did they create a mental health exception to that? Like, I mean, I know Arizona kind of just goes forward with executions regardless, but did was there an attempt to differentiate or was that just totally ignored during his proceedings cuz if that was ignored i mean that's all that's problem that's a independent problematic basis for his well, execution to go forward the thing that's even more interesting about mr dixon's case is that he represented himself in his capital case so the jury never knew that he had any type of mental impairment because he represented himself Wait, he really? Yeah. When it, when exactly did he represent himself in proceedings? So when when after this crime happened, he it actually he didn't get convicted or the trial started for this crime until the 2000s because of DNA. There just wasn't enough. I guess there was like an inability to connect into the case until 2001 when DNA forensics was a lot more advanced than when this crime occurred. So when that case was proceeding, he represented himself in his mental health condition. I don't think that anyone should be able to represent themselves, but he was allowed to do that. So when his case continued, he represented himself and the end result resulted in a Was that because sentence. he was already in custody? Is that yes. is that is that also a loophole? Oh my goodness. So yeah, that's, he was already that's a loophole to the Sixth Amendment, right? To counsel. He was already serving a life sentence on an unrelated offense to this crime. So he was never ever going to have an opportunity to be free, you know, without a lot of legal help. And, you know, with his mental health condition on top of that, I think that there's definitely issues in the competency of 
do you understand what's going on and what the consequences are of representing yourself? I know that his attorneys have filed several motions. One was filed on April 5th. Talk about the impact of his mental illness and just that the fact that he represented himself after he had fired his court appointed attorneys because they would not raise claims based on his like delusions that the evidence obtained against him was obtained on unlawfully. And the more you learn about this case beyond the headlines, the more shocking it becomes. And the more I realized, at least for myself, when looking at this, this isn't justice. This right. is 100% a state that will seek a conviction regardless of the situation. Yeah, regardless of like what rights were violated in order to obtain that conviction. Unfortunately, his mental mental and physical health have continued to deteriorate this time on death row. He's blind. He's 65 years old. He has a number of debilitating health conditions and he continues to suffer from you know, paranoid schizophrenia and has delusional and auditory visual hallucinations. And he, according to his attorneys, periodically experiences episode where he loses connections to reality. This is someone the state is going to execute in approximately 30 days, actually probably a little less. That's so chilling, especially because he doesn't have the mental faculties to choose meaningfully between the gas chamber and lethal injection which you said is what is he is required to do because of when the crime was committed and the state has you know spent a significant amount of money refurbishing the gas chamber right and also you know amazing use of money by the way yeah (laughs) during the pandemic It's not like we have any other problems in the state, you know? There's plenty of other ways that money could have been spent to provide resources for people instead of refurbishing something that's so antiquated and archaic and, you know, just awful. I mean, this is this, the gas chamber is, I mean, they're using the same gas that was used in the Holocaust. Yeah, um, there was a there was a Jewish advocacy group that challenged Arizona's usage of this gas, like linked to like the psychological effects that the usage of the gas chamber would have for Holocaust survivors in the U.S. And the court denied the request. Like some of these pieces of information are, you know, really not discussed as far as what five minutes is dedicated to the news, you know, on like the local networks that talks about these issues in depth. And I think if the public had a better awareness of what's really going on, they would be appalled and shocked. And whether you are a supporter of the death penalty, the way that it is being done here is not right. And it's awful. If you are someone who condones the usage of the death penalty and capital punishment, these are huge, huge, huge problems that are really only being held by a select group of people to change it. The Board of Clemency is actually 
a really big deal. And most people, I don't think, know what that is comprised of, who makes the appointments to that, and the power that they have to choose whether somebody lives or dies. Arizona's clemency board because Arizona's clemency board is particularly bad when it comes to granting clemency for people on death row, right? Can you say more about that? Yeah, it has a long history of essentially not existing. Clemency is, the probability of it being granted is extremely low. The board currently is comprised of, let me think here, one, two, three, Five people. These individuals are appointed by the governor. So Governor Ducey would be able to appoint these individuals to serve for a five-year term. So right now there is only one position open. I believe it's the chair. There was, I believe the person who was just reinstated, his name is uh, Sal Frenny. He is a retired 30-year veteran of the Phoenix Police Department. He served as a officer, detective, supervisor. He's very well connected to law enforcement. There is a real lack of, I think, diversity on the board right now of people who are able to offer different vantage points beyond, you know, CEOs. There's <laughs> there's CEOs on the board of clemency, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. You've got multiple people who really have no community ties and are really only attached to this board because I think they're likely to be in opposition of supporting clemency. So you put together a group of people who are likely to say no, and you, the result is going to be no. So with one open seat and Governor Ducey able to make that appointment, it's going to be essentially the same problem until these terms expire for these individuals and new people are able to be appointed by hopefully someone a little bit more able to implement a more broad spectrum of people to the board. You know, there's the lack of diversity. Yeah, everyone who's sympathetic to law enforcement. Yeah, essentially, that's the situation. And I don't think that it looks very good for any individual who seeks clemency, you know, regardless of how hard their attorneys work. And the evidence that's presented to mitigate their circumstances, I think that the board is has already made up their mind because of who they are and their experiences and connections to law enforcement. Right. And then so there's the Clements Board can suggest, you know, suggests candidates for this pardon. And then the governor has to approve. And that's a whole other hurdle when we think about people like Ducey who also is somebody who is like pro-law enforcement and um, pro-death penalty. Yeah. And it's an interesting, you know, when doing this work, you become very aware of what people's ties are to faith communities and religion, because there are, I think, a lot of things that faith leaders would like to say. And I know in the past have said 
the attorney general, A.G. Brnovich, is Greek Orthodox. And this is something that the Greek Orthodox Church has taken a very firm stance on. I know that they have facilitated conversations or leaders of the church have facilitated conversations to say, hey, I think there may be some people who are innocent, who are on death row, that maybe there should be some reevaluations for. Is that what the position is of the Greek Orthodox Church that they're against it only if you're innocent? You know, I don't know if it's only if they're innocent. The instance that I'm thinking of is there is a gentleman, his name is Frank Atwood, who is Greek Orthodox. He's had a spiritual advisor who is at the monastery, the Greek Orthodox monastery near Florence. And I know that they have advocated on his behalf multiple times and have done everything that they can to say that this really needs to be evaluated. There needs to be considerations for the death penalty, particularly in instances where there may be innocence attached to it. And I think we don't even need to be differentiating like that because ultimately, like the death penalty is not good for, you know, like, even if the person did what the state says they did, the death penalty is still a moral wrong, in my opinion. It's interesting to think about um, a person like Mark Brnovich's um, religious beliefs, because I mean, I don't know much about Greek Orthodoxy, but a lot of what he does would seem to me to be in contrast with a faith that, you know, prioritizes the needs of those were marginalized. But I think that honestly, like we don't even need to get into discussions like that because if there was even just a requirement for these people who advocate for the death penalty to be there and actually see the person executed, like I have hope that even that would be able to change people's minds because it's actually so horrific the way that Arizona botched the 2014 execution that you were mentioning and just honestly any of the available methods are grotesque and inhumane and you know for a country that tries to act like it's civilized it's very uncivilized to do that. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just I'm just kind of like laying it all out there. Because I think sometimes like, we get we do get caught up in these little details like, oh, like, because you know, I mean, because like, it is, I mean, that is actually like the most devastating indictment of our criminal legal system. If there's an innocent person that's being put to death, like, because the there literally there's a whole thing about how, um, you know, we have a, a legal system that is set up so that even, you know, um, it's better that a hundred guilty people go free if it means that nobody would ever, of who's innocent, would ever get convicted. And that is not mm-hmm. how our legal system actually works. The idea at the root of the death penalty is that a person is irredeemable. And like, like you were talking about this person, did this person like find their faith on, during their time on death row? Or like, I don't, there's just, there's so many stories about people who like have rehabilitated themselves somehow, even though like death row is very much a place that conditions you to have your mental health actually de- acumen deteriorate. And so it's like, you know, this is actually quite remarkable that these people that we are, we say are so disposable that we are ready to put them to death 
like still survive and make meaning of of their time on this on this earth that they have on on death row waiting for death and yeah. it just kind of it just proves that people can change and i'm very cynical about many things but i do think ultimately i think it's very hard it's very rare but i do think people have the capacity to change and just that possibility alone should make it that we shouldn't ever execute somebody well and just the just the like hard facts you know these aren't these aren't facts that are influenced by anything else other than what the statistics are of those who are on death row. Arizona's death penalty is disproportionately imposed on poor people and people of color. That is a fact. And depending on where you commit a crime or a crime is committed, who is sentenced to death row completely varies because not all counties have the funding to be able to pursue, you know, capital cases. The cost to defend a non-capital first-degree murder case costs around $27,000, you know, give or take a a couple hundred dollars. The cost to defend a capital case that results in a death sentence is over a million. So if if a crime is committed in a more rural county or a county that doesn't have as many resources, the likelihood of a death sentence is extremely low, you know, just due to funding. So Maricopa County has approximately 60 capital cases pending. So you're talking about $60 million plus to pursue these capital offenses that you know, are either going to lead to a life sentence or a death sentence. And your just costs alone are crazy. But I really think that the group of people who make up the majority of those on death row is is telling, you know, there are only, you know, 5.2% of the African American population, but they account for 16% of the people on death row. 45% of the people in Arizona on death row are people of color. And Arizona has sentenced nearly a quarter of all Native Americans facing the death penalty in America. Mm -hmm. Only two other states, California and North Carolina, have more Native Americans on death row. So, you know, these are not anything to do with, like, their cases. These are the statistics of who is on death row right now in our state. Yeah, like, your, your data shows that this isn't actually about, like, punishing the worst crimes objectively Th- these who ends up on death row is a combination of a lot of factors that are as you said geographic about the resources that are allocated geographically about the racism that exists in our society that makes it so that disproportionately it's people of color that are sentenced to death row and it's kind of like all of those things you know should just are our indictments in and of themselves or you know are uh prove how fucked up the death penalty is really and there is no way around it but there's never i mean we're all people you know human beings are full of errors there is right. no way right. to definitively say a hundred percent that we're right and that is i think the bigger component at least for me is i'm a flawed human being as as much as i'd like to you know want to be right all the time. I'm not, (laughs) I'm definitely not, but 
that is the case for every individual. We just don't get it right all the time. Human beings are inherently flawed. That doesn't change the fact that crimes occurred, that there are real victims, but it just means that in our process of a justice system, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. And is it worth killing people that maybe, you know, have landed up on these situations because of human error? I don't think so. That just seems insane to think about. And, you know, for people who have been exonerated, like Ray Crone, he, he lost 10 years of his life on death row or right. Deborah Milkey, um, who was also a victim, lost her son. She lost 24 years in prison before she was exonerated. So there is a punishment that is inflicted on people who have done nothing and chance of circumstance yeah, and exactly. human error landed them yeah. in these positions. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for saying that about how you know, that pointing out the myth of the criminal legal system that a punishment is just about the individual person that is incarcerated, that there's, there's ripple effects in the community. Anytime somebody is sent away, I think that's always really important to think about. Kat, those were all the questions that I had for you. Uh, Is there anything that we missed in this conversation that you wanted to uplift? I guess, you know, it's definitely not the average, you know, dinner conversation. What do you think about (laughs) the death penalty? But it is a conversation. I mean, maybe for people like you and me. (laughs) And listeners of the podcast, Um, I feel like it's quite likely. But, you know, these conversations that are hard to have, you know, that don't come up in everyday conversation until it's in the news are ones that we really, I think, need to evaluate within our friend groups and our family groups. My family is very conservative and I use them as a sounding board all the time to kind of hear what the other side thinks. And I feel like I'm more of a middle person. I don't identify with any political party. I think it's all crazy, but I do really (laughs) inherently care about people. And at the end of the day, that's what we're talking about are people. So facilitating these conversations, if you have some, you know, hard facts and can tell somebody who may not know is going to open up their mind to being receptive to more information and, and sharing that information with their, you know, circle. So much of advocacy work is education And I really hope that listeners can take away some of the things that we talked about today and go, shit, I did not know that. And Mm -hmm. now I feel a little bit more informed about what's going on in my state. And as far as what people can do. Is there a call to action for Clarence Dixon? Not yet. Depending on kind of what happens closer to clemency, there definitely will be. But some things people can do right now are inquire, you know, call the governor, ask who these people are. What did the appointment process looks like to put somebody on the the board board of clemency board? Yeah. Yeah. Who is more representative of the community that you may be from or is like affiliated to a religious organization or somebody who is not attached to law enforcement? (laughs) As a baseline. Again, yeah, just as yeah. like a, a hard line to say, maybe we need somebody who isn't attached to that. Not a cop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's super important to think about the clemency board membership. It's super, it's, yeah, important. And then we do have a petition. It's more broad in the fact that we believe, regardless of what happens with um, Mr. Dixon, that 
death penalty cases are going to be pushed forward towards executions mm-hmm. because of a, a lot of reasons, but the attorney general has really right, made it, his made it mission. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, we need to serve justice and what we're talking about with the next couple cases and with Mr. Dixon's is not justice. This is vengeful action. Cruelty. Cool yeah. yeah. It's cruelty. Cruel That's and a perfect punishment, word. right? Oh, 100%. But when you use your vote, you know, think about how you want to be represented as someone is either, you know, against the death penalty. Do you want somebody in a position who's making these decisions and not thinking through all the problems that are attached to the death penalty? There is a petition that people can sign. It's to the Board of Clemency to the attorney general and to Governor Ducey to really evaluate the death penalty and what what this really means to the people of Arizona uh, as far as if they want to be participants in this. Regardless, if you say nothing, in my opinion, you be, you become somewhat of an inactive participant. If you're you say complicit. something, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you're complicit in what's going on. And if you can send a tweet, you know, make Share a phone this call. Share the, share the podcast, you know, you're doing something to make yeah. a difference and change the outcome for maybe somebody else. Right. So that's what my recommendation is to follow what's going on. I'm posting all the like latest information about cases as they're moving forward. You can follow us on Twitter at death penalty alternatives for Arizona or DPA underscore Arizona. That's easier, <laughs> but you know, definitely Follow our link tree there to get involved and, and stay up to date what's going on. Great. Kat. So just to end on a lighter note, what is something that is giving you life right now? Man, that is hard. Uh, oh, no, Kat. Uh, I mean, it's my work is my life. So oh, no, uh, <laughs> I know that's even Listeners harder. Do not um, emulate this. Yeah, don't. <laughs> Don't follow my model for my life. Okay, well, I'm um, going to say, um, try and do some self-care. Next time we talk, I will ask you about it. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I guess, you know what I'll say? I am I booked a massage yes, on Friday. okay. And you know what? I'm. That's what I'm living for. Yes, okay. Friday. We love to hear it. We love to hear it. Kat, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate the work that you're doing to uplift this really critical issue in Clarence Dixon's case, along with those of many others. Thanks so much and hope to have you back on the podcast again soon. Thank you so much. Bye.